Let me welcome you now the next amazing flavor of pastor that you guys have been getting to have every week. How many of you have loved this series? Insight from all of our pastoral staff and team members who've got a lot to reveal. I'd just like to tell you that this next pastor has really been one of the most trusted voices in my life and one of my best friends. He loves to see the church reach its potential and all of you to operate exactly how God has called you to operate. He has a big heart for all of you and you know that he's been here invested in living stones from the beginning. We love you. Pastor Andrew, would you come and share your word with us today? Give him a big round of applause. Okay. Too. Love you. <laughs> I appreciate you guys. I appreciate this opportunity. You know, you guys are so easy to speak to. Um, I've been in other situations which, you know, I'm preaching my heart out and speaking to a wall, you know. Um, but you guys are amazing. You guys are easy to talk to. Your heart's open to receive from the Lord. And I pray, Lord, that this morning um, the words that come out of my mouth will represent God's heart. Uh, I've been praying a lot about this opportunity to be able to speak to you guys. And the Lord invited me to speak on the journey that my wife and I have been for the last, really the last 10 years, but especially the last two years. Um, So I got some stories to share, and hopefully it will resonate with you. I like stories because stories make theology real right? Stories help us remember the theology and apply the theology. Uh, I want to begin by just, you know, talking about my wife and I. We got married about 12 years ago, and we felt like the Lord really gave us amazing gift of marriage, and we wanted to honor God back, and we dedicated our lives to serve, serve the Lord. We bought a house next to the church because we wanted our house to be a place of ministry. Um, we took different people into our homes. We tried to serve and care for them. We tried to mentor others. We did a lot of counseling. Uh, we led life groups for years and years and years. We led discipleship groups. We gave financially. We gave our time and, uh, until we had nothing left to give. We honestly tried to live the best way we knew how to serve God. What could go wrong, right? We're serving God. Well, somewhere along the line, something went really wrong. Despite our best efforts, uh, we were getting burnt out. There was more and more friction between my wife and I. The passion in serving others was waning. If you kind of put our lives under a microscope, you could see that the fruit we were producing was a little bit rotten. Don't like to admit it, but it didn't smell very good. Now, looking back today, unto my last 12 years of marriage, I realized what was going on. We were trying to build something amazing for God and probably for our own legacy. And as we're building this ministry, this, this, this infrastructure, the foundation was cracking. The foundation could not withstood the, the, this thing we're building. And the foundation was our hearts. Our emotional maturity wasn't quite there. It took us probably five or six years, um, especially the last couple years, for us to realize we were emotionally immature. It was humbling, it was painful all at the same time. There were crucial parts of our emotions, crucial parts of how we think of ourselves, that we never let Jesus come and touch our hearts. We were never trained to do so. Instead of saying generalities, I want to kind of give you guys a real look at what happens behind the scenes, at least in the Ming's household. 
So I was busy doing all kind of ministry. This is even before I became a pastor here at Livingstone's Church. We were trying to serve. We were trying to care for people. But meanwhile, I was struggling with a deep sense of anxiety. Now, I didn't even know what anxiety was. What I was fighting was anxiety until the last couple of years. But I was, it was debilitating. It was hindering what I did. It was causing me to unleash my anger upon my kids and my family. I was afraid of the future for our nations. I was afraid for the future for my kids, my grandkids. And the worst part about my anxiety is that I was ashamed that I had anxiety. I knew what the Bible said about anxiety. Now, even as coming as a pastor, when I was ordained as a pastor, my anxiety didn't magically go away. In many ways, it got worse. It wasn't until I finally acknowledged that I was struggling with anxiety. I start sharing with my friends, with my family. I start bringing it before the Lord. Was I able to get a level of victory over my anxiety? But that's a whole different story. Outside of my anxiety, I also had a real struggle to rest. In the last 10 years, 12 years of our marriage, we've probably been on two or three real vacations. And on these vacations, I could not rest. I was antsy. I feel like I got accomplished a bunch of things. Even now in the weekends, I feel like, uh, I'm always behind. I always got to do something. And because of my inability to rest, I develop all kinds of health issues, focus issues, mental health issues. And the worst part about this is that whenever someone made me feel like they were holding me back, they couldn't let me do what I wanted to do, I would be very frustrated at them. And most likely, those are my four young kids at home. So that's not cool. And then there was this comparison and jealousy that would pop up every once in a while. More common than I like to admit, when I see someone in my common place of life, they're my age or my same season of life who has greater ministry success, who has greater financial success, who has a nicer car or a bigger house, or they have more influence, I would feel a deep sense of jealousy and comparison with them. It wasn't just this external thing. It was this deep pain that I'm not enough. Of course, I know what the Bible says about all that too. Shame comes upon me. Why am I comparing myself to other people? I will stuff those emotions away or I will rationalize it. How about this one? I, was, I have inability to emotionally be present for my wife and my kids. Now, my wife, ever since she was a little girl, she longed for a man to be able to pursue her emotionally to romance her, to really care for her. And I just couldn't do it. And this is how I felt when I tried to emotionally engage with my wife. I felt like someone was saying, hey, I want you to bench press 350 pounds. I'm there on the bench. I'm lifting as hard as I can. The blood vessels are popping in my head, and I just can't even move the darn thing. That's how I feel when I try to engage with my wife. I want to. I seriously want to. But my emotional muscles are so weak. Same thing with my kids. My kids want wants me to emotionally engage. They want to snuggle with me. They want to spend time with me. Play cards, play games. I'm playing board games with my, my kids. I'm just like, oh, I can't do this. It's causing me all kind of anxiety. I got to be productive. I got to be doing something with my life. I can't just be present with my kids. What about my interaction with other people? Because when I'm disappointed by other people, it hurts me so much. I can't emotionally process the disappointment. I will often write them off and cut them off of my life. How Christ-like is that? 
In the same way, when I disappoint other people or I'm misunderstood by other people, it was too painful for me. So what I would do is I would avoid important conflicts that I needed to have because emotionally I just cannot handle it. It took me years and years, okay, for me to finally admit that emotional, my emotional maturity uh, was the problem. It wasn't other people. It wasn't the external activities. I don't need to do more. Internally, the infrastructure of my heart was very weak. And then I start talking to all y'all. I start to hear your stories. I started to hear your pains and your hurts. I, I meet with a lot of uh, different leaders. And I realize every single one of us have the same struggles. There is enough emotional immaturity for all of us to share. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> the Lord's been taking my wife and I through this journey to kind of dig at the cracks in our foundation. And in this process, we have come to the conclusion, the paradigm-changing conclusion, that God cares about our emotions. Imagine that. God actually cares about our emotions. God created our bodies. He says, take good care of your bodies. God created your emotions, and he says, take good care of your emotions. This is not rocket science. But it took us years and years to finally embrace this. But this area of our hearts and our emotions is so commonly overlooked in our society today, and we are paying the price of this. So why is it so easy for us to ignore our emotional health? The simple answer is that emotional immaturity is very easy to hide. Even this morning, probably three different people have said to me, hey, how are you doing? And if you're like me, you say good before the words even process in my head. We are trained to not care and not process how we actually feel. For many of us who grew up in the church, instead of taking up the energy and the focus and the discipline to grow our emotions and be more emotionally mature, we take that energy and we use it to hide our emotions. And we gotten really good at this. One time I was arguing with my wife. It was pretty heated, passionately arguing. Voices are raised. I'm sure our kids could hear us arguing. And all of a sudden, she got a phone call, probably from one of the ladies at the church. She picks up the phone, and the sweetest, kindest voice, <laughs> hello, hey, how's it going? And she started this beautiful conversation. And I was amazed. It took tremendous discipline and skill for her to bury her present emotions and go to a different mindset. You can ask her. She's, she said she's one of the best at suppressing her emotion. And that's not a brag. That is not good. The problem is when we just suppress and cover up our strong, deep passions and emotions, it doesn't lead to emotional maturity. It will lead to emotional constipation. And just like regular constipation, if you want to remember one thing, it's this. Just because it didn't come out, it doesn't mean it's gone. <laughs> right, Dr. Brent? The junk is still in you, weighing you down everywhere you go. I hope that analogy makes sense. I think we can all relate to this. 
This is the reason why we can be praising the Lord with all our hearts, genuinely praising God Sunday morning, and on Sunday afternoons, we can be cursing up a storm at the football games. Or like me, when one little thing doesn't go our way, all of a sudden there's a torrent of anger that's unleashed. And you're just like, what was that? Where did that come from? It's because I, we are backed up with passions and emotions that we have never faced. We can be attending church, doing spiritual activities your whole life, and be emotionally immature because we have never done the hard work of exercising and growing our emotions. Now, my wife and I both grew up in a church setting in which we have never even heard the words emotional maturity. Maybe you can relate to this. As a young boy, I was told boys don't cry. Anybody else can relate to that? Come on. Yes, no. Boys don't cry. Okay. And I was a boy who cried all the time. So I heard this often. Somewhere in my 20s or maybe in my teen, teen years, I just stopped crying. I was like, okay, I'm done crying. Okay, and that's not a good thing. Even today, when I'm like, I got to release this emotion, when I finally can cry, all I hear is you're pathetic, you're weak. Even though theologically I know that's the right thing, I still hear those voices. My wife, uh, as a little girl, when she expressed her emotions, she was told to use her brain instead or to quote Bible verses at her when someone would try to solve her problems so her emotions would go away. This is with good intentions. No one's trying to hurt her, but that was the message we received. You know, our church teaching, growing up, the church we were at, our church teaching on emotions can be summarized by uh, a conversation I had with an elder from, a church, from our church. And we we're discussing whether we should have drums and guitars and stuff for worship. And this is what he said to me. He says, we should not have drums and guitar because we might elicit emotions to worship God. Basically, what he was saying is emotions are flighty, they're vapid, they're worthless. And we are dishonoring God if we bring our emotions before him. That was the overarching message. God doesn't care about our emotions and neither should we. So I found that there's two common extreme perspectives on emotions. On one hand, you have a group of people who worship their emotions. They would never admit to it, but that's what they do. They believe their authentic self is found in their emotions. And whatever they feel, they are. They are led by their emotions and actions and words. And they justify their convictions by how they feel. I would say they are consumed by their emotions. They worship their emotions. That's not what I'm talking about here today. That's not healthy. We don't want to be consumed and be led by our emotions. But then you got the other group. This is the camp I came from. Because they saw how vapid, they saw how destructive and shallow the worship of emotion is. So they overcorrect and they go to the opposite extreme. They say emotions are evil. They are the devil. God transcends emotions. So when you feel emotions, it's almost a disease and we have to cure it through the word of God or rational, or facts. That was my camp. And I look back, and I don't know how many people I have hurt. I've shut down their emotions because I said your emotions are worthless. That was my camp. 
Over the years, I've learned that there is a third way, the way of the king, which is through training, through modeling, through prayer, through counseling, we actually reflect on how we feel and why we feel it. And then we share our deepest emotions with our friends. We share our deepest emotions with the Lord. We even, can you imagine this, ask God to speak to us through our emotions. Crazy, right? And in this hard work of working out our emotions, we actually gain emotional maturity. This sounds wonderful, right? But we were never trained in this as a kid. Now, growing up, my label, okay, was that, Andrew, you're a good kid. You're a good kid. You just, you just got a temper problem. Just a little angry. So just work on that. Okay, and everything else will be good. I was a rule follower, so I was a good kid. But I had this anger issue, and guess what? No one ever taught me how to overcome my anger issue. After years and years of trying and failing, I just, you know, I identify that's my identity. I was a good kid with some anger problem. As if when God created me, he etched anger onto my DNA. That was my identity. Good kid, a little angry. Until I got a little older... And one day I asked myself, why am I so angry? I practiced a little bit of reflection. Why am I so angry? I started to process with my wife a little bit, talked to her, and I came to the conclusion, the reason I'm so angry, I'm so frustrated, is because deep in my heart I feel alone. I feel powerless and I feel alone. My anger comes from a place of vulnerability. Which until I reflect on it, until I process it, I would never know. And then what I did is I started to take my vulnerability, my anger, my feeling of helplessness and bring it to the Lord. I brought to him, Lord, will you speak to me through my anger? He did. He did. He says, when you're angry, it's an alarm going off telling you that you are far away from me. So when you feel angry, it's my voice telling you, draw close to your father. You have lost touch with me. You haven't been spending time with me. You're concerned with the things of the world. Draw close to me. All those years when I got angry, the Lord's trying to send me an important message, and I have ignored it. What is God trying to tell you through your emotions? Is he using anxiety, fear, jealousy, and frustration to get your attention? When the alarm clock goes off, when you see that check engine light come on your dashboard, what do you do? We're taught to hit the snooze button. Some of us are taught to unplug your alarm clock and throw in the closet. But I've learned the Lord's trying to get our attention through our emotions. He wants us to actually get out of bed and listen to him. That's why sometimes he speaks to us through our emotions. You guys realize that emotional health is one of the most valued skills in Fortune 500 companies? The trend right now for large organizations is that they will hire for emotional health or EQ instead of IQ. They value emotional maturity over intelligence. We can talk all day about how high EQ leads to higher performance, great leadership, lower turnovers. 
I won't go into all that, but my point is this. The kingdoms of this world have learned the value of emotional maturity. But does the kingdom of God value emotional maturity? Does God care about your emotions? And the answer is absolutely he cares about your emotions. We really need to remove the taboo of talking about our emotions or expressing our emotions. To see it as weak or sinful. The truth is God is full of emotions and he expresses them freely. If you go to Zephaniah chapter 3, God expressed his joy. For the Lord your God is living among you. He's a mighty savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. He's singing over you. You think he's expressing his emotions? What about this one? His regrets. Genesis 6, 6. So the Lord was sorry he ever made them and put them on the earth. Right? No one's putting this Bible verse on the refrigerator. <laughs> but the Lord was expressing regret. You ever feel regret before? Guess where you get those emotions from? How about Deuteronomy chapter 4? For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. The Lord is full of emotions. What about Jesus? Did Jesus ever express his emotions freely in front of everybody? How about John 11? The shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept for Lazarus. The context, he was weeping in front of everyone. Everyone could see him crying. What about Luke 19? As he came closer to Jerusalem, he saw the city ahead. He began to weep. How I wish today that you of all people will understand the way of peace. But now it is too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. Jesus saw into the future in AD 70 when his city was destroyed by the Romans. And he grieved publicly for all to hear and see. But Mark chapter 3 verse 5. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And said to the man, stretch out your hands. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. My point is this. Emotions are the fundamental part of who God is. And he gave it to us. He made us in his image and likeness. The reason we are emotional is because God is emotional. Think about that for a second. The emotions God gave us is a gift. It's not a curse. Having emotions is what makes life fun. Without emotions, we're just a bunch of robots. Jesus, in John 10, 10 says, The thief's purpose is to kill, steal, kill, steal, kill, and destroy. I memorize it in a different version. My purpose is to give him a rich and satisfying life. Ask you a genuine question. Can you have a rich and satisfying life without emotions? Can you? Not just the good ones. Not just the uppers, but also the grieving, the anguish, the pains. That's what makes a rich and a full life is emotions. But so many of us, because we saw how emotions has become abusive or destructive or, or express itself in violence or destructive words, or maybe we see people grieving and never heal. We saw how painful emotions could be, so we locked it away. But that is not the life God has called us to live. 
God has called us to, to live a life with mature and healthy emotions. Let's take a look in the Bible how some of the greats, the saints in the Bible, how they took care, how they processed their powerful emotions. Okay. You can't really talk about processing emotions in a healthy way without talking about Job, the book of Job. Okay. I'll be honest, you know, when you go through the Bible reading plan, anyone's ever done a Bible reading plan, go through the whole Bible in a year? Anybody done something like that? Okay, so when I'm going through those plans, I have to go through the books like Lamentations, Book of Job, even much of Psalms. Okay? I, as a young man, dreaded reading those books. To me, it was worthless. I didn't want to read about their emotions. I didn't want to read about how heartbroken they are. To me, it just didn't do anything for me. Okay, I want to read about the great thing God is doing. I want to read about principles. But as I got older, as I start to experience the pains of life, as I start to pastor people who are grieving, I start to really value why God put those books in the Bible. Imagine that he put those books in the Bible for a reason, to show us that sometimes we have to grieve. Sometimes we have to feel our emotions so we can become mature. Job was deemed the most righteous man on earth. He was probably one of the wealthiest person on earth also. He had 10 awesome kids. Everything was amazing. And in the test, God took it all away. All his kids died. He lost all his wealth. Then he struck with illness, boils all over his body. Just kind of put yourself in the spot for a second. I mean, just the thought of me losing all, my, all four of my kids okay, together will shatter my heart and my spirit. So imagine Job, not as a figurative, legendary, mythical person, but as a real person. What would you do if that happened to you? What did Job do with this crazy sense of anguish and pain? Did he bury it? Did he pretend that's not there? Did he let his emotions run wild and go out of control? His wife even suggested to him, why don't you just curse God and die? Be consumed by your emotions. But Job did not go there. Instead, he took his deep grief, he processed it with God. You see, when I read Job, I want to get to the very end, chapter 42, 43, when God restored everything. We often want to jump to the very end, right? But there are 40-some chapters of Job processing his emotions with God and with his friends. Here's an excerpt, Job chapter 7, verse 6. I cannot keep from speaking. I must express my anguish. My bitter soul must complain. Am I a sea monster or a dragon that you must place me under guard? I think my bed will comfort me and sleep will ease my misery. But then you shatter me with dreams and terrify me with visions. He's talking to the Lord. I would rather be strangled, rather die than suffer like this. I hate my life. And don't want to go on living. Oh, leave me alone for my few remaining days. That was the words of a man who's considered the most righteous man on earth. But he brought his raw, bitter emotions to God. And guess what? God could handle it. God could handle it. You know, in the middle of our deep emotions, the last thing we want to bring our emotions to God. None of us has been trained to do that way. 
few days ago, my son was uh, having a little emotional tantrum. He's very much like me, very emotional. He couldn't get his shoes on right in time to go to basketball, and he was feeling anxious. And he shed a few tears, and I saw that. And I feel empathy. I feel compassion for my son. So I reached in to give him a hug. But he pushed me away gently. He withdrew from me. I didn't understand why he did that. So later I asked him, I said, Nehemiah, why did you, when I came for a hug, why did you push me away? I'm trying to teach him to have emotional um, awareness to see what's going on, right? He said there's two reasons. The first reason is because he felt shame. He was embarrassed that he has the strong emotions. Anybody else can appeal to that? When you feel strong emotions, you don't want people to know, you don't want people to see, you don't want to come before God. You don't want to experience, you don't want him to see that even though he sees it. And the second reason is because he didn't want to spill his negative emotions onto me. He was trying to protect me. But guess what, son? You're 10 years old. You don't need to protect your emotions from your dad. <laughs> Bring your emotions to me. I want your emotions. I want you to draw near to me. Do I rather you process your emotions with me or with addictions and drugs? Or maybe unleash it on your brothers and sisters. Bring it to your dad. And I'm just a regular dude. Could you imagine God, what God's saying to us? You think I can't handle your emotions? You think your negative emotions, your anguish, your anger, your bitterness is too much for me? Don't you know who I am? Bring your emotions to your father. In the storm of his emotion, the Lord spoke to Job. And when the Lord speaks... We are healed. We are restored. What about David? After he was exposed, after he killed, murdered Uriah, after he cheated with Bathsheba, and after his son died. I mean, talk about shame. Talk about regret. Again, put yourself in that spot. Your nastiness exposed for the whole nation to see, and you're supposed to be the leader. What did David do? He brought it to the Lord. Psalm 51, verse 7 to 11. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stains of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Man, he's pleading with his father. I know I messed up. Can I bring this junk to you? This is why David is a man after God's heart, because he trusts his dad with his raw emotions. What about Jesus? Imagine, again, put yourself in Jesus' shoes. He's about to face the cross, which is the most agonizing way to execute anybody. He knew that was coming. He's facing the cross. Now, put on top of that, bearing the weight of sin for the whole entire world. You think you'll feel a little bit of anguish, a little pain, a little anxiety in your stomach? So what did Jesus do with this emotional burden? Matthew chapter 26, in the Garden of Gethsemane. He became anguished and distressed. He told them, his friends, Peter, James, and John, he says, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He wasn't hiding. He wasn't guarding his friend from his deep emotions. He was inviting them in. 
to share this burden with them. And then he took his deep emotion to his father. He says, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. He did that twice. Jesus, in this moment of destiny, he took his deepest emotions, he brought it to his father. And it was in this wrestling, I will argue it was in this wrestling of emotions, wrestling of his will that determined the fate of mankind. Jesus shared his emotion with his friends, then he processed his emotions with his father. Emerging from this time, he came with a determination to become the savior of the world. When he left the Garden of Gethsemane, the battle was done. Was done. He already had overcome. The decision has been made. Jesus was going to come to the cross and become the savior he was made to become. There's so much we can talk about what this actually looks like. But here's the takeaway. I like to make it very practical. Even this morning after first service, I was able to pray with a few people and we just practiced this. When you feel strong emotions, probably negative emotions, fear, anger, frustration, uh, shame, don't suppress it and don't let it consume you. That's our instinct. Either we suppress it, we hide it, we, we, we get overwhelmed with it, we express, we say whatever comes to our mind. Don't do either. Don't suppress it. Don't let it consume you. Number two, take a moment and reflect. What am I feeling? And why am I actually feeling this? Number three, bring what you're actually feeling after you identify it to the Lord. Pray and ask him, Lord, are you trying to speak to me through these emotions? And then guess what? Shut your mouth and listen. <laughs> this is my pet peeve. Often we pray, we talk too much. We share a heart and then we listen. Lord, are you speaking to me through these strong emotions? And number four, I'm going to be real practical. If you really struggle with listening to the voice of God, I invite you to, to talk to a friend. Share with a friend. You know, we talked about the transformational healing class. It's a great opportunity for you to process these things, to talk to someone, to learn how to be emotionally mature. So if this really resonates with your heart, you're like, I really need this. I really need some help. Please sign up for Beth's class. It will really help you. Now, I know I'm running out of time, but I got two quick stories. I don't care. I'm going to share. <laughs> I don't know when the next time I'm going to get to preach. So I'm going to share two quick stories. I want to illustrate what this looks like in real life, okay? This is not just theory. I'm going to tell you what this actually looks like. So the other day I was on Livingstone's YouTube channel. And for some reason I started looking at how many views different ser services get, okay? And I was like, wait a second. Why do the sermons I preach get like this view and the sermons other people preach gets this view? I mean, it stirred up real feelings in my heart. I felt deeply insecure. I felt jealous. And I know what the Bible says about this. And don't worry, I feel shame too that I even care about this. All kind of emotions overwhelm me. Insecurity, fear, I'm behind, I'm a loser. You shouldn't even care about this. You're so insecure. Overwhelmed with emotions. Okay, and the last thing I want to do is tell anyone about it because I was ashamed that I even cared. 
But after a day or so of torment, it took my peace. I said, yeah, I got I to gotta suck it up. I got to talk to my wife about this. And I'll be, I'll, be, I'll be honest. Like, I was embarrassed to talk to my wife. I was embarrassed to bring this up to her. Normally, I'm a pretty confident person. But, man, this really shook me. Now, I have no idea the Lord's trying to touch my heart through this. I just thought I was messed up. I needed some help. So I shared with my wife. And because my wife is amazing and awesome, she didn't make fun of me. She took it seriously. And we processed it a little bit and we prayed. We prayed right there in the dinner table. Lord, help me. Speak to us through this. I'm kind of giving the abridged version to the story. And what happened was, out of this time processing with my wife, I knew the question I needed to ask God. This is the central heart question I had. Remember reflecting and really figuring out what is, how do I really feel? How I felt is I felt like I let God down because I was not a good communicator. I wasn't good enough for him. So my prayer to God was, is it okay if I'm just not that great at communication? Is it okay with you? Because I'm okay with it. I'm cool with it. But are you okay with it? It seemed like a silly question to you. But man, that, was a, that, that gripped me. And this is what the Lord said to me. He said, he said, you put yourself in the box. Your whole life you put yourself in this box. He says, I'm about to shatter this box. I'm about to break this box. Now, I don't even know what all that means. And he's still on the journey. It's taking me on the journey to explore what that actually means. But I will tell you, I was set free when he told me that. I could care less about how many views I had anymore. I could care less about the embarrassment. And that moment, I'm like, I got to tell the congregation. I got to tell people. We compare ourselves to each other all the time through our insecurities and fears. Be free of that. Allow the Lord speak to you in the middle of that. Maybe he's trying to say, hey, there's an alarm going off. And he wants to speak to you. And we ignore it. We keep hitting snooze. Hit, keep hitting snooze. We are held back in our development. And we leave this toxicity everywhere around us. And the Lord says, stop doing that. Bring it to me because I want to speak to you about this issue. I got one more quick story. I call the Debbie Main Port Butt story. You guys want to hear about that one? <laughs> Two Sundays ago, this is live. Two Sundays ago after church, she came to church, first service. She went home with the kids. I stayed till third and went back. And my wife and I are processing some stuff. We're talking about uh, uh, one of our sons and how he's not really listening uh, to direction as well. And we talk a little bit. The kids are watching TV. Um, and at one point, my wife is like, you know what? The issue is not Jaira. It's not our son. She says, I'm just edgy. I'm not in a good mood today. That's why I had some issues with my son. I was like, well, why are you edgy? Right? This is taking time to reflect, right? She says, because the pork butt she bought two days ago from the grocery store, when she took out this morning, it was spoiled. It was rotten. She had to throw it away. Okay. So it starts out being a pork butt story. I'm like, okay, well, why would that send you over the edge? Like, it happens and it'll you know, keep happening. Like, let's go get another one. What's the big deal? She's like, you know, it's just a waste of money. I'm just annoyed. So I kind of poked a little bit more. I'm like, give me a little bit more. What else is in there? After some prompting, she's like, here's the reason why. It's because I feel like I failed again. I can't get anything right. Now, I had enough trust with my wife that I can poke one more time. Just like one more, one more push. Hey, babe, why do you have to get things right? And then the tear starts flowing. 
the tears starts flowing. There's a tyranny of perfectionism that's been put on her over years. She has to be perfect in certain things. If she's not perfect, she hears the voice of condemnation over and over again. This is the reason why she'll make, she'll bake something, she'll cook something, she'll make some brownies, and it'll be amazing. Our whole family loves it. But she'll be like, now the first thing she will say to me is, I didn't make that right. It was a failure. It wasn't sweet enough or it's too sweet or whatever it is. I've never noticed it because I'm just enjoying my brownie. You know, when you eat a brownie, your brain don't really listen. But now I am. So right there at the dinner table, two weeks ago, we just pray. Kids are watching whatever shows. They're used to seeing us cry and talk about different things. It's just mom and dad doing their thing. And we pray. I took out my notebook. I put it in front of her. I said, hey, babe, write down what's on your heart. And she wrote this. I got her permission. I need to steal this from her. She said, this is our prayer to the Lord. She said, there is a chasm between what I think and how I feel. She's speaking to the Lord. She said, you love me. You're pleased with me. I don't have to be perfect. I'm the apple of your eyes. You adore me where I'm at. You delight in my failures and you celebrate my success. You receive my gifts with pleasure and smile. But I don't feel it. We are not there yet. She is not there yet. This is the beginning of our journey to be emotionally healthy, to be emotionally mature. I am tired of my wife trying to run this race with the ankle weights of perfection holding her back. I am tired of myself trying to run this race with anxiety and comparison holding me back. Are you guys tired of this? Do you want to be free? Do you want to be free? The Bible says, guard your heart for its wellspring of life. But for so many years, we have ignored our hearts and we focus what we do out there. The Lord wants our activities to be matched by the emotional maturity in our hearts. But we have to do the hard work of bringing our emotions to the Lord. Amen. Amen. And this morning, we feel like the Lord wants to touch your heart. Now, I know I went way over time, but we invite you. If this morning, if you feel like the Lord wants to speak to you through your emotions, we would love to pray with you. Just this morning, I got to pray with somebody. She shared her heart, and we just said, let's just pray right now. What is the Lord speaking to you right now about this emotion? That's what we want to do this morning. Amen. Hey, have an amazing Sunday. Have a blessed time. Be blessed in your heart and your emotions. If you have things in your heart, we would love to pray with you. Have an amazing week.